Hey everyone, I am Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars and welcome to this delayed episode of the Robbo Report. Robbo did an amazing job putting together all these clips of references from Star Wars Visions. Such a good job that YouTube's copyright strikes went haywire and we had to wait about a month or so for them all to get approved, bar one. And then the Book of Boba Fett started and I was in Australia, so it all got held up. So I wanted to wait till after the Book of Boba Fett heat cooled off a little to present to you this episode. If you have a chance, check out the YouTube because there is so many great clips that uh, you can hear in the audio, but uh, to watch them is really cool. Robert did a... Um, he, he really went deep for this one. So uh, stay tuned. Uh, they ended up missing maybe about a minute of uh, stuff from the YouTube, but the audio is in full. And the Robert Report is normally part of our Patreon presentation so if you want to hear uh, me and Robbo are about to dig into the book of Boba Fett uh, in retrospect so if you want to uh, listen or watch that uh, think about joining the Patreon for just three dollars a month plus 800 episodes back episodes bonus episodes waiting for you and it supports the little pod so enjoy have fun and may that force be with you Hey everybody, it's your boy Robbo back again <laughs> with my co-host and uh, good friend Steel Saunders. How you doing today, Steel? How you doing, Robbo? How I've missed you. Oh, likewise, likewise. Uh, it's been been a crazy, uh, crazy couple of months for it everybody has. involved. Yeah. Well, at, at my end, I moved, and now where I record is a lot closer to Harry's bedroom. So I've been mm. trying to go through all these different um, solutions, soundproofing that's not going to turn the house into a, um, a shanty. So um, this is the first nighttime recording I have done. And so, so oh. far it's going okay. I haven't, um, yeah. haven't had my little beast come out and uh, demand attention. So, I mean, I would just look at it as like bonus material, right? You get like a... A peek behind the curtain, the Saunders household. Yeah, bit. some curtains you just—I don't know if you want to peek behind that. Just uh, <laughs> he's, he's a cutie. We're a happy little family. Just, just, just take my word for it. You don't need to see it. What we need to see and hear is our old buddy Robbo. And I believe today, this is this is one for the books. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about some new Star Wars content that I believe you are very happy, nay, overjoyed over, which is Star yeah. Wars Visions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I always say, uh, you know, you, you want to, uh, when a good thing shows up, you want to make sure that you're uh, on top of it by no more than like, you know, 30 days or something like that. So. 40, 50. Yeah, it's whatever. Okay. It's fine. Yeah, it's like no, it's I, I, 
I don't know whether people are still, I'm not really on Twitter much anymore, but I, I don't know whether like the discourse is still talking about the visions uh, series, but uh, yeah, I think it, it went over pretty well and it was nice to have some star Wars animation out there where I felt like I was enjoying it as much as everybody else. So that was pretty cool. Or more so in some cases. Perhaps. I I don't know. I, I didn't see too many negative comments about it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I think insane Star Wars Twitter, it was sort of like people really liked it or were just like, whatever. I mean, that's the cool thing about it being kind of like non-canon or quasi-canonical is that like people who don't like it don't feel like they have to like raise a stink about it. It's like, well, it didn't really happen. Mm. Which is like how I I handle I try to handle everything that way, you know. It's like <laughs> now, um, just to uh, set the stage, set the table, as it were. Uh, this is the Robo Report, where Robo and I chat Star Wars. It is episode thirty six. Uh, all episodes are available on the Patreon feed, which is just three dollars per month. And this episode, as it's uh, a divisible by three. It will be uh, up on all the feeds and on YouTube for uh, people to sample and enjoy. Well, this I can subscribe. Yeah, indeed. This is definitely one to watch on YouTube and then to like and subscribe. Um, if you're already subscribed, unsubscribe and then subscribe again. That's probably better than doing nothing. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I actually would just... Th- there is like... In, in this whole YouTube thing, there is ways to game the system. But in my opinion, they lower your self-respect. So yeah. such things as that or the, the, the misleading thumbnail and all, like I just, it could get you more things, but it's like, is that, is that the way I want to live? Not I really. Mean, the misleading thumbnail is a part of like a grand tradition of, of, uh, of, you know, scammery and in general, uh, you know, like advertising know-how, right? And and just the ones that are like massive, massive Kenobi update. And it's just like, yeah. there's sand in it. Thanks, dude. Sand confirmed. Great. Um, yeah. So there's like the way out theory ones, like that are just taking that as a, as a, as like a, a leak. And then there's ones that are so vague but they hype it up so much. But anyway, listen, thumbnail, it's just me and Robbo talking about Star Wars Visions. Now, um, just give us your, what, what, what was your favorite one, Robbo? Uh, I don't know. It kind of changes all the time. Like there's definitely, I feel like the ones I liked uh, made perhaps more than others. Uh the other people I should say were I really liked the village bride uh, episode and I liked the last one too, Aka Akakiri, I think. And those are two, like I felt like people kind of had like uh, more subdued reactions to perhaps, but I, I really liked them. I, I mean, I got to say like, I kind of like him. Uh, one of my pet peeves about, new star wars content is one of your many pet peeves let's set well one of the relevant to this episode pet peeves is like there's a lot of jedi around like it seems like you've got to have more jedi even when there shouldn't be more jedi and and they're just it's just it's just wall-to-wall jedi jedi all the way down 
and it's also like you know it's i understand why because it's like a it's a it's a sellable thing right because people are into jedi are sick mate that's why when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online choose your diamond and setting when you find the one you'll get it delivered right to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, sometimes, yeah. Like, what I like about the Jedi in this one, though, like, <laughs> I, I kind of wish that we we went further afield from the just the Jedi Sith stuff. But you know, I understand why they why they did it the way they did, which is they wanted to kind of pay tribute to the sort of both the Japanese influence of Star Wars and like the the kind of I don't know what you would say like the sort of inherent Japaneseness of some Star Wars concepts and, and Jedi are kind of a big part of that. So I get that. But what I liked about this one is that you get all these stories about Jedi and in all of them, the Jedi are out there like helping people and doing good. Like there's not one single Jedi who like goes to his office and sits down and and, uh, and thinks about things. You know, there's not one one episode where the Jedi are like, well, we should help these people, but we can't because rules are rules. That's just how it is. Uh, this is exactly, you know, a lot of these episodes are like, especially the, the two I mentioned, seem like much more like what I always kind of imagined the Jedi were doing with their lives. It's like going around like to different planets and helping people and, and uh, getting into adventures and things like that that aren't related to some kind of, you know, you don't have Jedi come down. It's like, oh, there's like slavery and, and bad stuff on this planet. We should leave it all alone and, and go away. Like, you know, that never would happen with any of these these Jedi things. So That's I like the, that. Um, I like that proactive Jedi. The, the Jedi Prime Directive. I mean, I know that's how all my heroes act, right? Like... Look, I'm only going to get involved. The headquarters says it's okay. All right. But yeah, like it's, it's really cool. Like I, so I like that. So that was kind of like neat because I felt like we were getting away from sort of some of the cruft that had built up around the, the concept. And I get that again, before I know I can hear you yelling from the future, uh, people who are watching this or listening to this. And yes, I understand that like the point of a lot of those Jedi stories is that the Jedi had lost their way, that they were beleaguered and, and, uh, and that was the point. I, I get it. Uh, I'm not saying that that's bad or anything. It's it's cool in its own way. I just like you know when I when little wee little Robo was imagining what the Jedi were up to. It wasn't that. It was more like this. Um, and I don't know. Like I would recommend people who are curious about the anime aspect of this, the the Japanese animation aspect of it, to listen to um, the Blue Harvest Adventure. Sorry, Blue Harvest episode. Blue Harvest Adventures is is not. Um, You'll you'll have to go back pretty far to hear that one. Let's lighten Uh, up on the pogs. You know what I'm saying? I'm not talking about an episode. I didn't mean to talk about what I was, the things I'm on. I'm saying there was an episode of Blue Harvest recently where. uh, I despise pogs in all their forms. I mean, you have your standards deal. I mean, that's, I don't blame you, but I'm, I'm a shill. So excellent. Um, But in this case, I'm just promoting something I like, which was an episode of blue harvest where they got together with, uh, it was, you know, uh, Will and Hawes and they got their buddy, Steve in there. Who's like a 
knows a lot about Japanese animation. And they I, I was talk a, about. I was about to say. I was about to say. Ah, oh, I heard that one. And then, as I was about to say it, I was like, "Wait, I've listened. You listen to it like you never not listen to everyone. So why you should like why am I surprised? <laughs> but I did. I, I heard that one. Yeah, it's a good one, and that's a great like. So if you want to hear people talk about that stuff, that who, who really know the material better than I do, that is a that's a good show to listen to. But what I can do is provide some like more historical context for both like the uh the the regular movies you know not the animated ones but like the the uh the period movies you know the jedi geki uh cinema that that star wars was drawing from and that these movie these uh cartoons are especially interested in kind of sort of re reinserting into the the star wars sort of universe i guess now and i i know a little bit about that stuff so i thought i might share some of it Robbo, if there's one thing I love, and that's like an arbitrary score or rating, I love mm-hmm. it. I love a good score. Um, you can choose the the scoring method platform scale that you please, but what would you score um, the experience of watching Star Wars Visions? For the entire thing, the whole the, the, the whole project, buddy, the whole season, season one. Uh, I mean, I would say that it was perhaps not as. I would say it's not as as uh, as good as Mandalorian season one, in terms of like just how happy it made me. But it was pretty close, and because it was like kind of like each each episode was sort of its own thing. I would say, yeah, out of out of ten, I'll say uh, eight point five. That's Robbo's lock of the week. So, yeah, uh, um, sorry. Thank you for doing that for me. I can't. I don't have any arms or hands. Oh, you're just a pink skull. We we mm. accept you for what you can do and what you can't do. You know. Uh, um, you mean you'll you'll ever know steel. Excellent. Uh, eight point five. That's pretty sweet. Now. I will I will tell you part of my experience was it was hard for me to really get in to the stories with um that they were all just like a one off. My investment and and, and, yeah. and thankfully apparently um you know the, he's working on a more chapters or a, a more fleshed out movie or whatever, but the ninth Jedi, that was the one that caught me as far as like, I want to know what the, these guys are up to next. Like, what, what, what are they yeah. going to, like, they're, they're, they're off on some interesting adventures. And I, I felt like um, that ensemble, you know, they're always trying to come up with these new ensemble mixes. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that one was sort of pretty original. And, um, yeah, I, I had my interest. It was pretty, I mean, I'll say like that one, I was kind of surprised that people seemed that seemed to be one of the breakout hits of the series. But when I rewatched it again, you know, after that, I was like, okay, I definitely get this. Like the whole like speeder bike chase thing was first rate. I mean, that, that looked really good. 
and I really love like, you know, the, the, they set it all up, right. Where he's like, you know, the, the blade makers saying like how he tuned them to respond to the user's personality. Right. Which is very gimmicky, but it's, it's, you know, it was made for that one scene where everybody lights up their blades and they're all red. Right. Uh, which I think is, was really cool looking. It kind of reminds me of the like tracking fobs in season one of the Mandalorian. Like that, that's just there. So you had that one scene where he's in the bar and everybody's fob like lights up and it's like, it's worth it for that. Right. Like it's so cool. That was like a scene in a gossip girl season finale where, where everyone's phones start beeping at the same time. Oh, Oh, we've got Chuck's up to now. I gossip girl. No good. Brittany Orr. I don't know. Um, I don't know much about Gossip Girl. It's good. I, I've heard. I've heard great things. XOXO. Um, should we should we dip into your uh, yeah so first bit of action or bef- what's up? Yeah, yeah. Before we do, uh, just a I want to give like a, a warning about the the content of the clips and um, in some cases the content of the films. Like these are uh, often violent. Okay, uh, but not it's not nothing. I it's uh, more violent than your typical Star Wars content, but uh, not uh, significantly more so. Like I'd say, like with one exception, um, it's about as violent as uh, as a walrus man getting his hand cut off. Where so, does it where does it rate compared to like the opening ten minutes of the raid? Oh man, I don't know. It's it's not that bad. Like it's look, these are short clips for the most part. Okay, because um, I didn't I, I didn't make it through the first ten minutes of the raid. Yeah, it's not that bad. So many guns. It's so yeah. it was just like ah, no. This, this like, is more people getting killed with with uh, swords and stuff like that. So I just wanted to throw that out there in case you're watching with like a kid in the room. I don't want to traumatize anybody. Um, Got you. And, I. Uh, yeah, just backtracking. I I don't mind um, the conceit of the the person's spirit or personality or whatever their goodness getting reflected through the lightsaber. Like that that that's something I could have like handled if that that's the reason they came up that people had different lightsaber colors. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It sort of is because they do the they corrupt it red or whatever, but. I um, yeah. I don't I don't mind it. I I like it in this one because it's like even if like whether it's canon or not canon or its own thing, uh, it takes place in the future, and so I can just say like, well, it's not like that. It's not like Luke Skywalker's personality changed in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, so that at one point his personality was blue, but then later it was green. Like it's more that in the future things are different, so whatever and it looks it's like a great scene like it's a great reveal and in, at the end of the day it's supposed to look cool i really don't like the idea of like that was introduced in the comics of them like you know the sith like bleed kyber crystals they like create pain and it turns it red uh because it's just like come on man like it's a red crystal you, you picked it because it looks cool and evil that's that's what you did but you know whatever it's always it's a Star Wars is constantly in flux and there's all kinds of bad ideas being added every day, so you know just get over it. I'm trying, man. I'm trying. Yeah, um, some people really like that stuff too, so it's like it, to me, it's a bad idea. To you, it might be the best idea ever. I tell you what else I don't like is 
lightsaber lengths that can change. I, I'm not into that either. I, that was that's canonical though. That's always been there from like yeah. movie one. But but do they have to adjust it somehow? I just don't want it to yeah. just to like. They have to open it up, get a screwdriver. No, uh, no, there's like a like I don't know which which one of the the fake a hydro spanner buttons. Yeah, but like Darth Vader's lightsaber is obviously longer than Ben Kenobi's lightsaber. Is it? So, yeah, in the first movie, yeah. So not by much, but but it's it's visibly longer. So I think that the <laughs> On the, the way trip. it was explained. Yeah, but when you get to the other movies he's in, it's it's the same length as as Luke's saber. So hey, fair is fair, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it can't all be power of the force too. Uh, just rocking that giganto saber. Well, you know how um, in Kenobi, it's going to be the rematch of the century. I'm just bringing that up to trigger you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they could have like at before that scene they could do the tale of the tape and they could say what the length of each other's saber is. Do you know what I mean? You got to compare, right? Yeah. So, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi, 200 pounds, I don't know, whatever, you know, five foot 11. Yeah. Um, Kenobi, like, like 36 inch saber. Yeah. I mean, look, shots. Darth Vader's lost a lot in his life. He might want to compensate for some things. Let's, uh, you know, let's give him a break. Let's give him a break. Can you blame him? No, no, exactly, exactly. Um, shall yeah, so I? First, so, yeah. so, so, all right, yeah. So, so again, just to recap: warning, extreme violence coming your way. Yeah, on the Robert Report. Brief, brief, but extreme violence, but not like as extreme. So. This is a clip from uh, the movie Yojimbo, uh, which was uh, released in 1961. The name literally just means bodyguard. It stars uh, Toshiro Mifune, who is like the the Ur samurai of, the, of this period of cinematic history. It was directed by Akira Kurosawa, who is probably outside of Japan the most famous director of these uh, period movies. And the duel borrowed a lot of stuff from this, even more than I'm going to show you. But when you see it, I think you'll get an, uh, a very good idea of of why this this one sprung to mind immediately. So you can go ahead and hit play. Kurosawa, Kurosawa is um he's like Japanese Macquarie. You know, you Are reference he's... that you know, like it's oh <laughs> Kurosawa, Seven Samurai, Macquarie, I will... Constantine, yeah, yeah. Spider. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> Every time I hear that harpsichord, I feel like the monster is about to roll right into town. It does sound a bit like the monsters. Yeah. So there's Mifune. And if you think it's weird that a dude is like uh, scratching his uh, scalp in the first scene, that's intentional. (laughs) Oh, is it? It's just trying to tell you everything about everything Kurosawa does and everything Mifune does in in their respective careers is intentional. He's walking like he's itchy now. Has he got? Has he got a rash? No, it looks a little weird because his hands are inside of his kimono, which leaves the kimono sleeves to just kind of uh, flop around in the wind. Ah, oh, yeah. so how he's walking here is—is is that where Lucas got the idea to have his characters walk in scenes? 
Yes. He was like, you know, walking is a thing that uh, looks really great on film. So we should do a lot of it. Helps the story. I would say that the kind of the long takes that Kurosawa liked to establish things were definitely uh, inspirational to Star Wars. So here he's just deciding where to go. So this is not a samurai anymore. He's he's uh, a ronin. Oh, so he's his, his. Yeah, he, he just threw. A, I, I couldn't work out why he just threw a stick in the air. I was he's like, just deciding which direction to go. He came to a fork. In the, you could pause it for a second so I can explain a little bit. Um. I did that screen wipe myself, by the way, but uh, Kurosawa did those too. So, uh, yeah, so he's playing, uh, Mifune's playing a character who goes by the fake name Sanjuro, which just means roughly like it's like 30 years old, but turned into a name. So Sanju is 30 in, in the row is just kind of turns it into kind of a name, I think. And the idea, he's like the inspiration for the man with no name character that Clint Eastwood made famous. And also kind of an inspiration for the Django character from from other spaghetti westerns. And Django Fett. Th- which is yeah, it goes goes back to it goes full circle. It's like it's like poetry. It it uh it's circular. And <laughs> it wraps. So when you see to the to us, it doesn't look like much. But for a Japanese person to see this movie, that beginning of the movie in, in the cinema with that, there's a lot of cues there that are telling you what kind of person this is, what is uh, what his life is like and what situation so, he's in right now. So so, so, so so, the viewer can say, oh, I'm I'm itchy. I've been itchy once before. In my life. Yeah, I, I can relate to this. I can relate to the itchiness. Uh, you know, George Lucas took a lot of inspiration from that. He put characters in the, the itchiest costumes possible to try and get some of that. uh you know, some of that Mifune energy out of them. Some space agitation. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So what you're seeing is like, you see him like itching his scalp. It's like drawing attention to his hair, which is unkempt. Um, It's in a samurai kind of top knot style, but it's not. uh, What a toss up. It's it's been. (laughs) Okay. Um, So (laughs) I I do have to say, I I have to, I, like the top knot, like in Australia, it's like a plague and um, very frowned upon. And however, um, the American dragon, Brian Danielson, um, one of the best wrestlers in the world right now, mm-hmm. he, he, he goes the top knot. And I, I, I like, what am I going to, like, how am I going to like argue with that? Like it's the what? American dragon. It works for you or it doesn't, you know, like it's interesting because in a lot of, a lot of times in these samurai movies, they will have the top knot because that's what the characters of that, you know, social position, that social case would be wearing, but they usually don't go the full, uh, kind of the full top knot Monty, which is like a shaved kind of like intentional baldness, like, uh, a shaved, uh, top of the hair. And then the top knot and then the round. That's usually not done. If it's done, it's kind of your signal that this is like a person who is still has a job and is important in life. And, and uh, that's not the case with this character. You do see also like his kimono is in rough shape, but it's got these like black circles. Those are the crest of whatever lord he used to serve. Um, a black crest, I'm, I uh, understand, is indicates like a very high status person but now he has no job he's just walking the earth like uh sam jackson i gotta say you see the back of his head and because and he's not itching it i barely recognized him 
Yeah, you almost don't know. Like scene to scene, there's some continuity errors there, Steel. I'm glad you picked that out. Okay. So he's walking into town, and you know you're in a good place when uh, the streets are empty and everybody opens their windows to stare at you. That's always like a good sign uh, for travelers. It's very uh, Mandalorian episode nine Mm -hmm. with uh, Cobb Vanth. They walk into town and they're all staring at him. So this is one of the most famous uh, introductory scenes. And take a close look at that steel. Oh, my God. He's got Luke Skywalker's hand in his mouth. I know. This is this is like poetry at rhyme. So a dog just ran past with a hand in its mouth. That's a that is a vibe yeah. check. Yeah, that is a vibe. That's exactly what you're seeing. That's a major vibe check right there. Huh. So that's like kind of your introduction. So that whole story goes on. It's just that character who's a master of samurai. He's kind of like a. It's it's, it's like a you know if he, you're. You get movies about like boxers who had to retire and now they're nobodies, but they used to be somebody. It's kind of like that, but there's like more of a stigma attached to it. Like if you're, if your master was killed uh, in battle or betrayed or something, you're supposed to technically kill yourself just because you've lost your purpose in life. And that's what the code of the world. But I'm guessing that few people did that. They probably <laughs> just did what this guy did, which is like, all right, I'm checking out. I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> I'll walk. I'll, I'll walk the earth and and uh, try to do good. So is is that where George got his fascination with chopping hands off, or what? It could be. I mean, he definitely saw this movie. Like a lot of people saw this movie. That's why it was it was ripped off so often in the sixties. And um, it's uh, the, the fistful of dollars is not quite a shot for shot remake, but it's a basically plot point for plot point remake. But it's in old in the old west. And stars uh, Clint Eastwood, and Toho uh, Studios, who who uh, uh, put out this this movie, they they sued um, uh, whatever whatever company released uh, Fistful of Dollars. Um, I'm assuming they settled out of court for a generous settlement, but uh, yeah, it's it's very much a. It, but it's also like this movie is deliberately playing up some of the Western, like I, I mean the movie genre tropes too. It's kind of like trying like I think my understanding of it is, is that at this point in his career, uh, Chris, had already directed many famous samurai movies that were often compared to Westerns of like the John Ford, uh, style. So like seven samurai was already turned into the magnificent seven at this point. And, um, there's a kind of a funny famous story about John Ford meeting Kurosawa, uh, at some, some function or other. And, uh, and Kurosawa asked him, have you seen my movies? And, uh, John Ford said, yeah, you like rain, <laughs> which, uh, and then Kurosawa says, yeah, you have seen him. All right, great. Uh, so, uh, cause he, he's very fond of having just like torrential downpours at pivotal moments in, in the, uh, in the movies. And, uh, so the thought was that when he made Yojimbo, he's like, okay, you're going to say, I'm like trying to do Western style movies. Like, okay, I'll make this super Western. And it's, that's very much it. Like you, you show up at a town where the story is basically like the town is divided between two rival gangs. And they're just like, this guy goes in and pretends like he's going to just give his services to the highest bidder. But he's always switching sides, trying to get, close enough to the to the the big guys on top that he can um you know 
uh, kill them and, and uh, kind of free the town from their influence. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the film takes place oh, interestingly. Sorry. Oh yeah. Wait, sorry. Uh, the film takes place in uh, kind of at shortly before the samurai class was abolished. I'm not really sure what the significance of that is to the story, but something to think about. Um, so the next clip is from a movie called lady Snowblood, which uh, was released in 1973. Uh, Japanese title was, uh, uh, which literally I think means fighting snow princess, um, which almost sounds even cooler, but not quite. Uh, stars uh, Meiko Kaji, who's kind of like a Japanese 70s uh, exploitation uh, film sort of mainstay, and was directed by uh, Toshia Fujita. Um, so if you're thinking that any of this inspired uh, Kill Bill, that's exactly what it did. It's probably this one movie that has more. Um, DNA in Kill Bill than anything else. It is a kill crazy quest for bloody revenge. Um, and, and visually stunning, I, I might say. So this is pretty cool. You might want to watch this. Is it going to be violence? Um, I, I am sorry. Can you translate, Robo? Uh, get out of the way. <laughs> She just did a front flip with an umbrella. Oh, yeah, there's an arm off dude's guys. arm. So she pulled a blade out of her umbrella uh, stem. It was hidden in there. So this guy's got a cigarette, um, which gives you an idea of what time period this takes place in. Cigarette time. And Lady Snowblood. Um, God. And then this, like, Super Mario-looking dude steps out. So the fact that they have swords in this time period, actually, if this is kind of even later than the last movie, and if they have swords, they're kind of breaking the rules, but they are uh, important enough to do that. Um, I Is it breaking the rule to have a sword come out your back, or what, what's up with that? Uh, not for the guy who's getting the sword come out his back, no. I mean, he didn't really do... Because he would be in violation, if so. Yeah, I, I think... And he's definitely messing up the street. Because he... Really got yeah. sorted then. Yeah, he got sorted good. So, uh, yeah, like, if you don't know why I picked this one, uh, you didn't watch The Duel, the first episode of Visions. Uh, blades hitting in, in canes, fans and stuff are pretty common in these kinds of movies. Um, this is the only one I knew of where you, somebody took a blade out of an umbrella. But that's definitely what they're calling back to. Uh, you recognize the song, it was used in Kill Bill, and it's sung by uh, Meiko Kaji herself. Wow. Oh. I hesitate to recommend this film because it deals with some really heavy stuff in not particularly sensitive ways. Uh, so don't. Uh, <laughs> what a combo. Yeah. Ex- well, I mean, that's, that's what it all comes down to. Doesn't it? Like just don't just know what you're getting into, but if you're sensitive about like, you know, the very real and not funny uh, issues of sexual assault, like do not watch this movie. Um, I don't, I don't recommend it because it's, it's very much, one of those kinds of revenge movies. Uh, but it um, that's definitely the movie that they were, I think, getting the weaponized umbrella from that you see in, in The Duel. Uh, so uh, still talking about The Duel, since that's kind of the most clearly stylized, um, we can take a, I want to pause it here. Um, so I got to kind of, the, the Jedi Geki uh, cinema from the 1950s and 60s is what sort of inspired the duel. And 
um, outside of Japan, we kind of use that word Jedi Geki to mean all samurai movies or any movie with samurai in it. In Japan, it just means like historical drama or period drama. So can you say that word again? Uh, Jedi Geki. So is it Jedi at the start or what? It's a Jedi. So J-I-D-I-A-D-A-I would be the romanization of it. And there's speculation that that's what uh, Lucas took the, the name Jedi from. But I don't really know for sure that he would have even heard that term, even if he, he definitely saw some of these movies in film school. But I don't know that they would have known to call them uh, Jedi Yucky. That seems kind of oddly specific. Um, in Japan, they would call them uh, Chambara, which doesn't mean anything. It's more like onomatopoeia for the sound of swords hitting each other. Chambara, like that. And um, that's, so, that's, not, that's not as cool sounding as Jedi. No, no. But what is? Uh <laughs> Akira Kurosawa, as I said, is kind of the most popular director uh, outside of Japan. Inside Japan, he's just one of many celebrated creators in this. Um, He's one of the top directors to pretentiously reference. uh, Definitely. I will say that I've I've seen most of his movies. Oh, here we go. Being pretentious. Here we go. Um, And to be extra pretentious, I'll say that the samurai movies are not always the, like, it's definitely worth checking out his uh, kind of uh, Yakuza movies and um, I would say particularly Drunken Angel and High and Low are good examples. Um, but also his, uh, like, one of his later movies, Dreams, is re- very, very good. And it's kind of like a weird sort of tone poem, like series of short films that uh, I think is is really cool. It's got Martin Scorsese in it, and he is uh, playing the part of Vincent Van Gogh. So <laughs> you, don't get, you don't get to see that every day. Uh, he does an okay job. Uh, so a lot of these movies take place um, in the uh, Sengoku period, which is like roughly like 1460 to about 1600. And that's a very common setting for this kind of movie from like the 50s and 60s. I think it might have something to do with the fact that that is like a it's a very sort of dark time in Japanese history. Uh, it's like sort of a power vacuum. It's like the fall of the old uh, Shogun government. And it, it pretty much anybody you wanted to to uh, kind of try to seize power for themselves uh, through war could do it. And I think that's why you see a lot of these uh, episodes of Visions uh, referencing past wars that had just wrapped up. And you're seeing the sort of the, the, the detritus or the, the results or the leftovers of that war. And that's in almost all of them that deal with, like, the strong Samurai Jedi themes. Um it's kind of a weird uh, kind of the main themes of these, of these movies are like just general lawlessness, like this broken feudal contract where the Lord's supposed to protect their uh, subjects, the farmers, especially, and they don't because they're too busy uh, making wars on other uh, warlords or um, I think the exact term is daimyo, which just means basically like local leader, noble person. Um, uh, the chaos also permits a degree of social mobility at this time period. So you have uh, historical figures like Hideyoshi Toyotomi, who was a farmer, I think, at the beginning of his life. And he died, uh, uh, an important feudal lord in a big castle, um, yet still dead. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Now, Robbo, you seem to know an incredible amount of detail about this. Uh, how? Um couple reasons like number one like i learned a lot of stuff first just by watching a lot of movies when i 
I, I left high school as soon as I possibly could and, and started um, kind of like a college light. And the, uh, the first place I went to had a great library with a lot of laser discs of Japanese movies and foreign movies of all over the place, really. And I watched everything I could. And so I learned stuff gradually that way. I've been to Japan uh, several times. My wife is Japanese. Um, and my son is actually uh, a history buff. So he loves a lot of stuff. So some, sometimes I'm talking about things that he mentioned to me himself that I didn't know about. Um, he, uh, so he told me and a few other kind of interesting things that don't have much to do with um, the cartoons. But he said that this time period is the sort of the introduction of firearms to Japan. And it uh, kind of not coincidentally is the the kind of the classic Japanese castle design. That's the time period that this comes from. Um, he also said that there's a lot of peasant rebellions, which he said are uh, referred to as uh, Iko Iki. Um, and these are kind of interesting because they have the most Jedi-like character you'll find in Japanese history, um, who is a Buddhist priest uh, named Renyo, who uh, didn't fight. Exactly. But he built a fortress on what is now the site of Osaka Castle, which is where like rebels, these like peasant rebels could seek refuge from the authorities. Um, again, he's not a warrior, but he kind of like championed their cause in a lot of ways. Freedom fighter type cause. Um, there were warrior wait, monks wait, wait. at the time. Yeah. Can I, can I, is Osaka Castle a real thing? It's there. It's still there. It still exists today. Uh, yeah. Okay, God. I just want to look that up. It's really cool. I've, I've been there. It's, it's awesome. Um, so there were warrior monks, which you think would be very Jedi-like. They're called uh, Sohei. Um, but when I looked them up, they, they sound cool, but they, I think they mainly just harassed and killed other Buddhists from rival traditions. I think they're like more, more Sith-like than anything. Um, not exactly samurai. I've been Jedi. there. Yeah. Well, you know. No, I've been to the Osaka castle. Oh, you've been there. Okay, great. Yeah. I thought you'd been you'd, you'd been there like uh, killing uh, uh, people from rival religious traditions. I was like, ah, no, you know, no. I, I'll let you let you take that one. I think um, one of the things I remember is in the hallways, the wood was made with some sort of built-in creek. Oh yeah, so ninjas couldn't sneak around, which is just yeah, dope. Are you sure it was Osaka Castle or it was a Himeji Castle? Um, hmm. Himeji is the, the one that. It, yeah. One of the castles had built-in creek. I know that, buddy. Yeah. I think they're called cricket boards in, in English. Um, but yeah, that's exactly... This is also the time period where, like, the, the kind of the heyday of the ninja comes from. Um, and ninja are also sort of like Jedi in this time period, but not exactly. Uh, I would say that the... In some senses, they were, like, freedom fighters. Uh, in other senses, they were kind of like hillbillies who... <laughs> lived in the mountains and were uh, were able to govern themselves for a time period because it was very difficult to reach them. And they got very good at uh, doing all kinds of uh, spy-like uh, stuff, espionage and things. Uh, hey, in Japan, have you mm -hmm. been to that gold house? It's like on the water. It's like a no. temple or a, a building that's like gold. What city is it? I can't remember which one. I th oh. I've been to. It's not on the water. I've been to. Um, no, no. It's on. It's it's like like a, there's a, like a creek around. You know, it's like a. Is it um, like the Imperial Palace? No, I don't know. 
I can't remember. It was like where you, like, I think it was on the day where you went and fed deer that like are at the temples and stuff like that. Like, mm. so I think that's maybe out of Tokyo, but anyway, they had this gold plated house on this, um, lake. And when we we're going there, I'm like, why would you like, that's such a, it's a waste of money. Mm-hmm. But, but I gotta tell you, when you see a gold plated house, it, it does look pretty good. It is it, it's like, you just like it's just the whole thing's got, it, it, it does radiate the light like quite like, a, like it's almost like it's almost worth doing for how yeah. good it does look. So keep I, that in I, mind. If you're doing any home renovation. As the, the, the late great Chester J. Lampwick said, as long as I have my rocket car and solid gold house, I don't need anything else. Okay. So, um, yeah, oh, so wait, next... wait, 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 wait. Speaking yeah. of rockets, um, had you seen that rocket Boba Fett from Celebration 4? I, I heard you talking about it. I have not seen it. Oh, dude. <laughs> I've got to see of... it. I, I do want to see it. Yeah. Everybody, that's, uh, that's another endorsement. Check it out. I will later. Um, so this uh, next movie is uh called uh in english called samurai from nowhere 1964 um and this one i'd say it's uh it deals with some themes that you see in uh the duel but also that you see in the village bride yeah people are just getting brutally harmed like like the guy gets like a spear through him or something and then falls off the shed it's like yeah itchy and scratchy this is a fascinating movie that I did not see until I was researching for this episode. Oh. It's somebody put it all the way up on like the whole thing up on YouTube. And it's like about a, uh, another Ronin uh, played by uh, a guy named Asamo, Asamo Nagato. And it explains the Ronin concept very, very well, much better than the Kurosawa movies. Do. So, uh, it's a it's about a disgraced samurai who elopes with a young woman from his lord's court to kind of prevent her from becoming that lord's consort, which is you know she doesn't want to do. Um, and then he becomes an outlaw because you've just broken your oath, right? So this guy, the badass dude with the with the uh, ponytail, um, he is a uh, another Ronin from a different kind of area, and they fought each other in like a uh, like a, essentially like like feudal japan wait, pro who's the guy, wait 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 yeah. who's the guy behind him but what's going on there's like another dude there he oh, is yeah that's the other the other dude is the the main character the guy who's in the middle right now is the other uh the other guy and why is there two uh, guys he, kind of, he he betrays them at first wait he tells i i who's which one's which which was the guy that saved the girl uh that's the guy at the far left right now. oh jesus <laughs> Whoa! A dude just got a like a blade right up the nostril. Yeah, nice diagonal line from his Whoa. chin to his forehead. Yeah. So uh, this guy like actually sold them out. They were trying to sneak across like a some kind of territorial border with his wife, which you see right here. And um, he uh, this the guy who just killed everybody sold them out. And then, but he and collected his you know money, his bounty for that. And then he comes back, and then after they've been discovered, he kills all the guys who just tried to stop them. Um, as kind of like his way of 
saying like, uh, I need the money because they don't, none of them have jobs. What this guy mutters right here is something kind of like a, like, like a oh. good job or, or employment or something like that. He's another uh, person who is like kind of on the, you, so what you, you see here, right? Okay, go ahead, Steele. You got to question the balding man with the top knot. That's what I was talking about earlier, by the way. That's, um, he probably, even if he weren't balding, he would have shaved his head to look like that. That was, that was the style of the time. Tied an onion to your belt and you shaved your head. Um, so you, you see him carrying his uh, wife on his back. Um, that's, I think, something that was done kind of normally in uh, those days. Really? And you see it, that's where you see, uh, not always. Like, there's other times in this movie where you see them walking just right next to each other normally. But kind of the idea is like, he's. Uh, you know, giving her a break. Um, she's got to wear like the much more restrictive clothing and they've got a long way to go. So he's carrying her on his back. Yeah. Well, you know, like when you see things from yesteryear mm-hmm. and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I can imagine not having a washing machine or something, not having an iPod, whatever, carrying your wife around all the time. That would like that, that, like that would, that's a it's tough a trip to the shops. Yeah. If you're traveling along these mountain paths uh, and you are not rich enough to have like a horse or like servants who can carry you in like a little like kind of uh, hand carriage, that's how the movie ends, by the way, um, then, yeah, that might be something you would do. They don't have a lot of money at this point. They're just looking for a better life. Um, they're dressed in nice clothes because he got a job offer earlier in the movie. And then the person who offered them the job found out that he had... F- competed in some fights for money against that guy who killed everybody at the beginning of the clip. And that's like a shameful, disgraceful thing. So the offer gets rescinded, but the guy who made the offer feels sorry for him and lets him keep the the clothes and stuff. Uh, so he looks less shabby, and, you know, then they do, leave. So, do they, do yeah. these films have like more subplots than an average film? no, I don't think so. Like what I just described is like kind of the whole movie. You find out what people's motivations are sort of as it goes along. What I'm trying to explain is like the sort of the, the tropes and assumptions that are go into these genre films that uh, uh, outside of Japan, the audience might not know, but they are, they do show up in the, the visions shorts in kind of weird ways. So in some cases, in this case, it was mostly like the concept of the Ronin, which you see in the duel like a masterless Jedi in that sense. You don't know what he did wrong. Maybe it says more in the novel. I haven't read it yet, but there's some, something he separated himself from the righteous path. And now he's kind of making his own way through the world has his own agenda. But, um, but then also like the, the thing where you see somebody uh, in the village bride carrying his bride to be up a mountain, to do some kind of ritual and carrying her on his back. And I just thought that was when I saw that, I was like, huh, I wonder if that's a Japanese thing or that's something they invented for the show. And then I um, while I was looking for that, I stumbled across this movie and ended up watching the whole thing uh, and really being impressed by the kind of the the way it boils down a lot of those concepts, uh, historical concepts. So this next one is probably the most this clip is uh, is also, I would say, very definitely inspired the ending of The Village Bride. And it's probably the most famous duel in Japanese cinema. You can leave it on because they just stand. So, yeah, 
It's uh, the sequel to the first clip we saw, Yojimbo. It's the same character, uh, Sanjiro, the, the Ronin. Is this is the very end of the movie. This is a, another samurai named Hanbei who's played by uh, Tatsuya Nakarai. And he's been kind of embarrassed and shamed and humiliated by Sanjiro. And he's demanding they do it. I don't know whether this was the intent, but they're standing way too close to each other. And uh, I think it might be a signal that this guy is like way too personally invested in, in what's happening. He's he's not thinking straight. It, it he's sounds demanding like a, they duel. It sounds like a sound clip between Wu Tang tracks. Oh yeah. You think your Wu Tang style can defeat me? Ah, I'm uh, God. Oh, uh, for for listeners of a certain age, that may uh, I know what you're hearing right now. Tiger style. So he's insisting that they they fight. He's like, I can't, I can't uh, live the rest of my life knowing that I lost you. So this, we see them slowly bring their arms out of their sleeves. They usually keep them kind of in the front, casually resting them inside. They slowly bring them out, and everybody's just watching. So just, everybody else looks like cardboard standees. I've got to tell you. Well, they're they're. Well, I don't want to just wait for it. It's worth it. <laughs> Violence coming. so okay so you gotta describe what just happened then buddy that was um... i mean i think people can understand when they listen to the gushing sound effect right where it sounds like somebody just like (laughs) just severed a fire hose i am glad that that film is in black and white because um yeah that amount of red he 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 it, it's sort of like the um the kenobi um Darth oh, Maul yeah, rebels yeah yeah just like one stroke and but unlike that it just like a, a fire hydrant of blood starts pouring out of his um poor tummy yeah so a lot of interesting things about this fight okay um, number one, the geyser of blood was an accident. They could only do this once, and they got the guy rigged up with like a tube. Oh, really? Yeah, and it was supposed to be like a spray, right? It's supposed to be like what you would realistically, if you cut somebody like that, you get like some. He's not being cut through like any like pulmonary artery or anything. Like that. It shouldn't be like a gigantic fire hose of blood. It should, um, but there was a problem. There's like maybe too much pressure in the device or something like that, and so it just went everywhere. And amazingly enough, like the people all in the scene all keep a straight face. They don't know that that was going to happen, but they, it's a miracle that it worked. Um, I, I do want to just go back and watch the reaction shots of those yeah. dudes. Can you watch it in slow-mo? Because that's like the only way to understand what the what uh, Mufune's character is doing. I can drag it slowly. Uh, that's fine. Oh, right there. Yeah, everybody just looks like, oh, there God. Is, look <laughs> at this frame you get it on. It is, oh, there is blood like like a meter away from him. Yeah. Oh, I mean, now, now it was like, going. That... That there's a blood spot of about six meters here. It's uh, very impressive. Oh, whoa, yeah. whoa. It just gets. Yeah, yeah. And then all the posses posted up watching it, just like, oh, dude. They are blown away. And the yeah. dude that just just spat out a few liters of blood, he is 
he seems stressed. I've got to tell you, his yeah. face, he's, he's had better days. He, I don't think he knows what to do now. There's a, uh, you know, it's a standard thing in samurai movies, but people have a way of like standing still for a couple seconds after they die and then they fall. Uh, it doesn't make any sense, but it always looks great. Yeah. So um, that samurai yeah. films and pro wrestling. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, you gotta make, you gotta, you know, play it for the cheap seats. So, uh, the move that, uh, Sanjuro does there was invented for this film. The normal drawing cut was decided by the filmmakers to be way too slow. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why they're standing so close together is, is to enable him to do what he does. They actually found, uh, their consulting, uh, a, a, a consultant and, uh, Yaido master. Yaido is like uh, a martial art that is only about drawing a sword and killing people with the first, as you're drawing it out, right? They just like quick draw artists. Like that's what they do. So they, they talk to uh, one of these guys and, and say, can you create some kind of faster way of killing somebody with a sword? And what he came up with is what you see Mifune uh, do in this scene where he kind of draws the sword with his left hand and draws the blade kind of sideways and then uses his free hand to keep that blade steady as he kind of drags it across uh, the other guy's uh, belly and like kind of chest area. It's very weird. It's not uh, a thing that was normal, but it's like the idea is that Sanjuro is a, is a guy who's, he's not a real samurai anymore. He has nothing to lose and he'll do whatever it takes to survive. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. We've all been there. Um, yeah. So anyway, very famous scene. And that is definitely what they're thinking about. And both in that Rebels uh, sequence that you mentioned and also in the very end of uh, the Village Bride where the, what's her name? She's a funny name. I mean, that is my, fa- I think that's my favorite one. I, I got to say the Village Bride is my favorite one. I love everything about it. Um, but especially the end where she's like, decides like, okay, she cuts her little Jedi braid, you know, it's like, okay, now I'm a real Jedi. Now I'm going to do a real Jedi thing. And, and she's also got those like robo pumps that <laughs> allow, I guess, I don't know whether they allow her to go really fast or what. Uh, but to me, like that whole, that whole thing is, is great. And um, it goes into the next clip, which is from the movie uh, hidden fortress from 1958, another Kurosawa film. And this was the one that inspired very heavily the very first draft of Star Wars. Um, I think it's overstated how much it inspired the finished Star Wars, but these two characters, these uh, are kind of like uh, ne'er-do-well kind of former farmers who have tried to uh, oh my find God, the life of... Yeah. They're, they're, talk, they're talking about the Fire Festival. Uh-huh. Yeah, you never knew, right? Ludacris wow. is right around the corner. Ludicrous Nelly, wasn't it? I don't know. It might be another has been. No, it was Ja Rule. It was Ja Rule. Oh, Ja Rule, not Ludicrous. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Ludicrous. Ja Rule. Um, look, it was what it was. Dude, have you seen those five festival documentaries? Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Jackie. So, it was Ja Rule. Yeah. Yeah, Ja Rule. So, my bad. My ja bad. Sorry. Yeah, living it up. Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, sure. the uh, the poor man's DMX. Just putting that out there. Um, 
So yeah, these two characters are kind of the the guy yeah. who inspired. Yeah. The of original... course, he's the poor man's DMX. He, he lost all his money on the festival. <laughs> they made two documentaries about it. Dude, he's so he's such a lovable idiot. Like he's so amped. He's like, yeah, let's drink tonight. We drink. Our festival's going down the tubes, but tonight we drink. Love I mean, it. what would you do? I'd get on a jet ski and um, just think about it. <laughs> the perfect place to do some heavy thinking, by the mm-hmm. way, on a jet ski. Mm-hmm. So th- these two guys, uh, you'll notice one's kind of like on the uh, shorter and stockier side. Another one's on the taller and lankier side. They are the inspirations for R2 and 3PO. Of course. The very first Star Wars script, um, they were not droids. They were uh, bureaucrats. They were like imperial bureaucrats who had fled a battle and we're trying to escape and um but the characterization did not change significantly once they became droids uh and what you're seeing here is they're trying to so their whole the whole story of this movie is um these two guys are uh they they stumble across a pile of what looks like firewood and they accidentally break open one of the sticks and realize it's got like gold bars inside, like a little like thin, they look like kind of like gold bookmarks actually. And those are the, all that remains of the family fortune of a great uh, noble family that has been um, defeated in war. And uh, the only remaining surviving member of the family is this uh, uh, young girl named uh, uh, princess Yuki, who's played by, uh, Misa Uehara. Um, you might recognize uh, a still from this movie where uh, Misa's holding like a uh, like a stick, like a switch above her head and kind of like bending it like she's going to smack somebody in the head with it. Um, they use that for like some of the 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 uh, concept art for Ray uh, before they, they really had finalized the story. Um, in fact, they use it more than once. Uh, so they went back to this movie when they were trying to come up with the force awakens but you know that image didn't really end up meaning anything but it's it's an interesting thought and uh so they 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 find this gold and then uh mifune who's also in this movie he plays a guy named general uh rokuroto makabe who sounds who's very much the inspiration for the um general kenobi character from the original movie Uh and he finds them out. Like he discovers them and says, okay, now, you know, our secret, we're trying to smuggle this family's riches uh, into friendly territory. So the, the, you know, this, this noble family, this noble house will survive. And um, he says, since you know the secret, your choices are, uh, I can kill you or you can help us out. And so they help them out. And as they're trying to make their way across the border out of the enemy territory, they stumble across these people who are carrying big giant cords of firewood uh to a fire festival um uh, yeah tonight yeah. we drink yeah <laughs> have your cheese sandwich and you'll <laughs> like it uh seriously watch watch those documentaries they're amazing um watch so watch, they're trying uh, just just watch the netflix one first and then the hulu one second that's that's what i'd do it's like your own personal, like a fire festival uh, uh, machete order, right there. And oh, because I think the Netflix one is that the one that was made by um, F. Jerry. 
I don't know. There was there was one, and, and they were like the Instagram account that became like an advertising agency. They were involved with promoting the festival, and then they were involved with one of the documentaries. And I think that's the Netflix one, and it lets them off the hook quite a bit. But <laughs> but on the Hulu one, it's got a guy that used to work for them that just like just burns them. Just like oh yeah, we were we knew it was going to be te- like. It was like it was a disaster. But, um, yeah, so watch Netflix one first, Hulu one second. Very good. Uh, sorry, sorry, Robo, continue. Yeah, anyway, in this scene, so they're about ready to be, like, the, the bad guys are hot on their trail. They're about ready to be found out. And then they have this uh, stroke of good luck, which is all their, you know, firewood that has the gold hidden in it. You know, that's what they're trying to, that's how they're going to be noticed. That's how people are looking for them. And then they stumble across this festival in uh, progress and everybody else has got bundles of firewood just like them and so what they do is they're okay we're going to join this festival the bad guys will never find us it's quite what a ends up, yeah what ends up happening is that you you'll see them uh joining the festival and um you read uh, the the italicized uh, subtitles there are the lyrics of the song and that is uh princess yuki right there she has this realization when she sees these people that this is she's never lived this kind of life these are peasants these are farmers they're singing a song about how like uh uh life is cheap um nothing matters like just throw like you're you're like an insect thrown into a fire uh the best thing you can do is just go crazy and live it up and um she's she sees them doing this and it connects with her in a way where she realizes oh like my class my uh you know to be uh in the family of a daimyo like to be protecting these people that's your job you you exist your family exists your riches exist to protect this way of life these people who uh have a whole life and tradition and 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 wants and desires and dreams outside of you that have nothing to do with you and their lives are very different, right? So she's watching them and she becomes very kind of, oh it changes God. her whole world outlook. Right? Uh, I do have to, uh, party. yeah, we're watching this fire festival dance, chanting, dancing around the bonfire thing. And just the size of the set, the amount of dancers and the size of the bonfire is all very impressive. It, it looks great. Yeah. So right now what you're seeing right here is that somebody found, Hey, you found more firewood. Great. Let's throw it on there. And this is the oh, firewood no. that has all the gold inside. And so they're trying to stop them. And then here's general Makabe and he comes in and says, idiots, we got to throw it in the fire. They're going to know, like we can't, we can't draw attention to ourselves. So they're going to dump it in the fire. And then um, how are they going to get the gold? Well, you got to watch the movie to find out steel. Oh man. It's a great, great movie uh no no it does not surprise me at all and i think i would say can you think of something else in star wars that this scene may have inspired much later um the the planet where lando is just hanging out on pasane pasana yeah yeah i think i think so i don't know for sure i haven't heard uh jj say it but i'm pretty sure they would have watched this movie while they were um trying to come up with ideas and stuff I, um, I think very much this is what inspired that sequence. And it's yeah. one of my favorite parts of that movie. When when I was like marveling at the size of the set, I was sort of like. Um... 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Just think, like I was thinking about Pisana and if they did CGI people in the background or not, so... I, I, my understanding is that most of that was actual extras in costumes. It's yeah, like yeah. Ridiculous. So see, there's Princess Yuki, and she's getting really into this, right? So and uh, a little bit later in the movie, she, like, repeats the words to that song, like, really sad. And it's it's very uh, stirring. I, I cannot recommend this movie enough. It is not super violent. Um, it is, uh, so I think it's it's fun for the whole family, and it's very, very good. So that, that's uh, the, it, the, the, the the hidden fortress, the hidden fortress. Yeah, um, definitely worth a shot. So uh, I think the the next clip I have is from the movie Harakiri uh, from nineteen sixty eight. Japanese title. Sometimes it goes under Japanese title seppuku, which just means the same thing. It's a ritualistic uh, suicide thing. This movie, um, it, although not especially bloody, is grueling yeah i do not think uh it, it turns my stomach um, is this a graveyard this is incredible this is a grave this is a japanese cemetery right here they're kind of like this is uh the the kind of uh virtuous avenger um the character's name is uh skumo hanshiro how do they make the, tre- uh, the trees dance like that well this... those are bamboo stalks but how so are they... They, they they're very pliable they bend in the wind easily Ah, okay. That looks incredible. So he finds this guy, and he's 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 out to get revenge for another samurai who went to uh, a local daimyo, a local lord, looking for a place to begging for a place to commit uh, seppuku, to commit ritual suicide. And it was a ploy. He he wasn't going to do it. He was trying to get um, you know sympathy, and that was what other people in his position were doing. They lost their masters they had no way of supporting themselves and uh what they would do is they'd say hey let me use your palace to commit seppuku and have an honorable death and hoping that the 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 lord there would be like oh no 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 you can join my uh you know you can join my my uh court i'll give you a job um instead this uh this evil lord just says okay go ahead um and the guy has already sold his swords um he has his swords when he unsheathes them are made of bamboo they're blunt. They don't do anything. Um, and then the guy says, okay, go ahead, do it. Kill yourself. And the guy is forced to cut his own like guts out with a bamboo sword. Like just what? blunt. You don't see anything, but you just see his face as he's doing it. And it's, it's horrible. So this guy, the so bearded. Is, wait, big, wait. So is that sword bamboo right there? No, 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 no. This is later. So that, that guy right. dies at the very beginning of the movie. This guy is out to get revenge for what they did to him. So what he does is he goes and finds all the samurai of that lord and fights them and humiliates them but doesn't kill them. Can to I make can a I, point? Can I ask yeah. what, what what year was this made? 1962. So the same time period as all the other movies. Right. Um, it takes place I, about in the year like 1630 probably. All right, I got to tell you in 62 the the wind machine technology was um pretty good. 
Yeah, because they, they knew they knew their stuff. They shrubs. They're moving. So, um, I've seen a video on YouTube where the, an actual Japanese, like uh, kendo master, critiques famous fights from these samurai movies. And he said this one he saw when he was a kid, and it was what made him want to study the the art. And um, he says, like, the way they're moving their feet is particularly important because it's very, very, like, their feet are always flat parallel to the ground so that no matter what happens, they're always um, able to oh. plant their body weight and attack. So, so with these actors, yeah, like, are they swordsmen come actors or are they actors, actors. come swordsmen? Actors trained to, to fight, yeah. Okay. But th- there was now. It's not the like there are some fights that are better than others. But in this case, this is one that a, a person who's an expert says was very, very well done. And it's interesting because he does something that I think looks very like prequel Obi Wan style in just a second. Um, not this guy. This is the bad guy. So watch what he does here. I think this is really cool. He says hello there. He doesn't remember ever meeting R2-D2? Is that it? Doesn't doesn't at all. It's like he doesn't... I don't seem to remember only that drawing. Um, watch this. I love this. See, he, this is a real uh, kendo stance, what he's doing here. He does these weird things. But it's the exact opposite of what you should do. Because what you're doing is you're just opening yourself up to be killed, Right. But by doing that, you're also inviting your enemy to attack you. And and you're also messing with their head right here. Like he's doing this thing where it's like, yeah, come get me. I'm not I'm not afraid of you, right? And it's freaking this dude out. This other dude is like Yeah, right there, that, that arms cross thing. <laughs> it's it's real it's a real stance, apparently. He breaks his sword. He's left with his uh, short sword, his uh, wakazashi. And he's doing the same stance again. Come at me, bro. And you never see in this movie the ends of these fights. Because at the end of it, you realize that he didn't kill any of them. What he did was he cut off their top knot. Oh, no. And his point, his point is... You'll see him throw the. You'll see him throw like a a, a top knot <laughs> on the ground, and his point is that all these samurai, these like loyal samurai who served you, when I humiliated them, they didn't kill themselves like they're supposed to. They ran and hid. They left. They didn't really die. They pretended to die, and so the guy you forced to kill himself because you said, "Oh, it's shameful that you should live like this." You sold your blades. How dare you! You deserve to die in the most painful way possible. All of his dudes, uh, they like when they were bested by this guy, they just ran away. And that's his point. It's like everybody, you're all cowards. Um, And then the next thing that happens in this movie is that guy kills like a hundred (laughs) people. Like everybody comes at him, he just kills everybody. The 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 violence is it's it's something. I gotta tell you, 
it's interesting in samurai movies like the more people who die in a single scene the less blood there is because they had to film it and you can't fake that easily so you'll see like a lot of things where people are just getting hit by swords but nothing seems to happen to them they just act dead and it's kind of like an interesting throwback to the old like silent movie days where there's a lot of suspension of disbelief you just have to accept that people are getting killed and um and roll with it interestingly enough when i was researching these things I stumbled across a movie that was made like last year. This movie is made by um, a young actor, a Japanese actor who was hired to do a movie. And I guess there was like some pandemic issues and they, they couldn't do it. And he had all these extras and um, you know, like a film crew set up in a location that had already been uh, paid for and everything. He's like, okay, forget it. I'm going to record a single take fight scene. That's as long as I can possibly make it. He recorded, I think a, over i think it's like 70 some minutes fight scene of him just like fighting endless amounts of dude just killing dude after dude after dude they had to they had to script water breaks into this fight scene because the guy could not he was about like ready to drop dead while they were filming it and um i think the the english title is a uh, crazy samurai musashi it's ve- it's it's sort of roughly based on the life of historical Samurai from the uh, 16th century, Miyamoto Musashi, who legend says was attacked by like a whole school of, of uh, rival. Uh, For 70 swordsmen. minutes. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the, the idea the is great, like he killed like 100 people in a day or something like that. So a bunch great, of dudes came at him. The great 70 is, minute attack. <laughs> I, uh, I watched the whole thing. I mean, that is most of the movie. I'll be honest. Like the movie is like a little over it's about 90 minutes long. And most of it is that one fight scene. Um, but it's, it doesn't need to be that long, but it is pretty impressive. Like there's no cuts, like they don't cut anything. And it's a lot of him attacking dudes. And like every fifth dude will have some blood that they added in with like a computer, but most of them don't. And I also noticed, I was like, how does he keep slapping these dudes right in the head with his sword without hurting? Them? I know it's a prop sword. It's not sharp, but like, that's got a, hurt and then i realized oh they're haircuts they're wearing helmets that look like hair um it's pretty impressive uh i think it's all on youtube somewhere crazy samurai musashi i think the year is 20 um are we up to toby one now yeah so so this we're gonna stop looking at japanese samurai movies and we're gonna start looking at um japanese animation history and we're going to start with um, the thing that inspired the 2B1, um, which is Astro Boy. Uh, oh, this... what? Yeah, just for everyone, I've put on Astro Boy. I'm so excited. I I, I, I was like, oh, we're going to hear um, floating up in the sky. Astro Boy. Astro... And then we've got some black and white ye olde Astro Boy. 1963 to 1966. Um, in Japan, it's called Tetsuan Atomu, which means Mighty Adam or Iron Arm Adam. 193 episodes. It was directed by a man named Osama Tezuka, who's also the guy who created the, the comic book Astro Boy. And I felt like this particular scene reminded me a lot of like the weird dream sequences in, in 2B1. Um, he's just saying... Uh, Otosan, Okasan, which just means mother, father. He doesn't have a real mother, father because he's a, he's a robot. Um, and uh, this is tripped out, man. It is right. Yeah. 
So um, Osama Tezuka is really hard to explain in uh, a Western context. He's kind of like a cross between like maybe Walt Disney and Jack Kirby or somebody like that. He's a cartoonist uh, uh, who became an animator just by act, like just um, and, and just basically worked nonstop and created all kinds of beloved characters that are still, um, you know, used in, in like revived and stuff in Japan today. Uh, but uh, Astro Boy or Tetsuo on Atom is the most popular of them. Um, very, very good stuff. But when he was tasked with creating a cartoon, it wasn't the first cartoon created in Japan, um, even for TV, but it was the first like cartoon that established the tropes of what we consider to be Japanese animation tropes. Like, for example, have you ever noticed how, like, Japanese animation seems to have a weird frame rate? Mm. Like, there's a weird, like, kind of halting movement to some, some Oh, of the, the joltiness, yeah. Yeah, so that's because when this one was made, they didn't have a lot of money. And so their solution was, we won't have a standard frame rate. We'll just use as many frames as we need per scene. And people just got used to that. And so that was like, okay, that's what we're going to do from now on. It's like, you'll... Some some scenes will be animated with really fluidly. Other scenes will be uh, animated uh, very kind of low frame rate. All right, and listen, I'm I'm am fighting back. I've had enough. Right there. Okay, you want to hear the song? Okay. Yeah. Fine, fine. So want to hear the song? Everyone does. Oh. Cartoon's been remade at least two other times. This is probably the 80s one. Astro Boy. Astro. Oh, I tell you what I like about this theme song. Yeah. You can hear his sister singing. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Oh, it's the same. It's the same voice. The the girl voice is like the. It has to be the sister. Is this the? Did you see this version of the cartoon when you were a kid? Yeah. Good than all the rest. Test. Uh, this may sound like heresy to you, but the uh, original Astro Boy cartoon had this song in English, but um, the Japanese version original was just the music. There was no, there were no lyrics. Ah. I was kind of disappointing myself. Yeah, the, the, the butt cheek machine guns, they're, they're a mainstay of this character. Oh, why? Look at that. I know. Carrying those little me, space octopuses through the rain, bravely, solemn. This is all you want out of a hero. Astro Boy, he's going to do his best. He's powerful. He's brave. Mm-hmm. He's there for the little guy, eh? I, I love this this guitar riff. Eric Struthers. That's great. See? The classic, yeah. 
uh yeah so yeah that's from i think the 1980s series and then they did another one like in the i think the 2000s but um osama tezuka's work is like he he worked his entire life and it's all beloved like you'll see statues to some of his creations in various parts of japan um it's he is like really like i would say like the closest analog would be walt disney um it's very interesting uh so you know we don't need to really go back to the, the clip but I just wanted to point out that, like, that's that's what they're drawing on deliberately. They, they've said so. The people who made two v one, or Toby, I guess. And uh, but when you see those original clips, like, it's it's very clear, like, what what vibe they were going for. Especially the style of the the characters, like the old man character, looks very much like Astro Boy's dad, or not dad, but like his inventor, the, pro- the professor, the professor, knows. yeah. I um I, I do have to say in, in the during the theme song I was talking about how Astro Boy is like going to give it his best, mm-hmm. and um that, that like that was his Toby one had had a similar outlook, and I, I loved him off on his mission to do his dad's work. He's going to just Jedi about helping people. It's, it's that dope. dad, his dad is my favorite Jedi in the whole series because it's like, that's a very interesting concept of a Jedi, isn't it? Like, he's like, well, the force is all about like, you know, sustaining and creating life and all that and, and surrounding things and, and the, the sequence of life. The, the, and he's like, I'm going to take this dead planet and, and make it new again, you know? And it's, it, what's interesting is that's kind of a really super deep cut reference to, again, Osama Tezuka, because it's like kind of his life's work, his magnum opus, um, in his opinion, was a series called Hinotori, or uh, it's usually called Phoenix here. And it's just a series of really whacked out, weird uh, sci-fi comics of various instances where like life is destroyed and reborn, like the Phoenix. Um one of these, I think, is just called The Future or Future. It's one of the weirdest, craziest things I've ever read. You'll never forget it. Um, it it's incredible. And it's, it's literally that. It's just like the idea of like uh, life is destroyed and then reborn. Um, very interesting. It's, it's very much in keeping with the themes of that, that episode of Visions. Um, so these next few clips I have are really, they don't matter that much in terms of the substance of them. Um, but I think they inspi- they all kind of reference the same kind of 70s aesthetic that uh, Akakiri uh, episode of Visions is is kind of dealing with. Nowadays, when you look at anime, like there's kind of just a few kind of standardized styles of, of characters and drawings and stuff like that. And that wasn't always the case. Uh, Tezuka had his own style. And in the 70s, they had all kinds of crazy stuff. This one was um, uh, from Heidi, Girl of the Alps. Uh, which was directed by uh, Sao Takahata, who is like kind of a contemporary of uh, Hideo Miyazaki. You may know from like Spirited Away and such. It ran for 52 episodes, and it's inspired by the, the, the novel Heidi, the classic children's literature. Um, if you uh, are a person of a certain age who grew up watching uh, Nickelodeon on cable TV, you may have seen it. Um, here she's having a fantasy about, you know, She's, she's supposed to be practicing her, her handwriting and she's imagining the, the letters coming into life and her flying away on them. It's really cute. Um, but they have the, there's like an interesting character design in this one that you see kind of some of that in Akakiri, like the weird stylized uh, red cheeks and stuff like that. And I bring it up only to say like there's kind of a, Akakiri is, is different looking than the other episodes because it's, I think it's meant to not reference any specific style that I could think of. 
but it's meant to reference kind of like a whole era of, of Japanese animation history, uh, mostly from the 70s, where people, where the characters were allowed to look just different. Like, Goodbye, letters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if this cartoon came on when I was little, I would be like, this is a betrayal from my television. I, um, <laughs> Because yeah, when you're little, there was only you only had so many cha- like there's there's only cartoons on like one channel for a certain amount of time, and I, I like the channel, the like the public access channel or not public access, but the public channel that showed Astro Boy. Sometimes they'd show other stuff, and they'd be like, "Come on, this sucks." What do you get in here? Like, yeah, there's no butt cheek machine guns in this one. Give me a brick. Um, yeah, I remember watching this one uh, and uh, David the Gnome and Maya the Bee. I think. All like back to back to back uh, when I was probably about in preschool or kindergarten. Um, yeah, it's it's a beloved uh, classic. There's a lot of so this is a, a, a different thing. Um, it's uh, Galaxy Express 999, uh, which is from a little bit later in the 70s, but it also has a very distinctive uh, style. The artist who drew the original comic All book. Right. All right, Robert. Um, what? Yeah, there's a steam train or something. Just flying through space past Earth. What, what, what's what's going on here, buddy? Oh, it's about to drop bombs in a second, buddy. Just wait. Okay, here we go. <laughs> no, is, it, uh, is, yeah, it, it's, is, it's, is this is like this six carriage train that thinks it's Santa Claus or something with the reindeer just in orbit? It's like no, Christopher it's the Galaxy Reeve. Express. Um. So this is another series that has kind of a famous art style that no longer really shows up, but the the creator of, of a lot of famous '70s manga used this, and uh, it's an interesting story. It's it's really pretty good. It's about a kid who um, grows up on Earth with his mom, and they're poor. They don't have enough money to uh, afford robot bodies, which is what all the rich, cool people are doing. Of course. And so his uh, his his mom is hunted and killed for sport by Count Mecca. He's a robot aristocrat, and he uh, gets revenge on Count Mecca and then vows to use uh, uh, what money he and his mom saved up to travel to the ends of the solar system and get a robot body and then seek revenge on all the... Yeah. In a steam train. Yep. Through Um, space. So, yeah, they talk about it in the show, I think. It's like uh, the people who can afford to travel between the planets are so rich, they're just eccentric, and they're like, yes, we want to have like an Orient Express kind of experience so we turned the spaceship into a train and uh very deliberate I, I, it looked um, more like they turned a, a train into a spaceship to be honest well yeah okay look you want to poke holes go ahead um, oh i just it's like a, there's, a, there's a train going through space i, I could only imagine that if in bad batch season two there's a steam train going through space that that robo you would um you would point that out It'd be a bit different if it were in Star Wars, would it not? Fair's fair. Fair's fair, buddy. No, no, no. Like, when it eventually happens, you can hold me to this. So this clip is from, uh, uh, I think the show is called uh, Boku Pataliro, which um, just means I'm Pataliro. (laughs) I don't know much about this. To be honest, um, I've got to tell you, I'm getting animated pod vibes here. Uh, it's not quite that. It is the, I think, the first uh, televised anime to deal with uh, homosexual romance. So it's about, it's a comedy. It's about this little kid, Pataliro, who's like the 
like a super genius child dictator of a fictitious country. And his guardian is a former thief or, or uh, hitman. Uh, that's with the red hair. That's a man. Um, is it kind of like a androgynous, like uh, almost David Bowie-esque character. The black-haired guy is uh, an MI6 agent. He's like kind of like a very, very, uh, <laughs> very uh, like kind of like super gay James Bond. And it's not mostly, as best I can tell, played for laughs. Those two characters have a relationship. I think they had the first like gay kiss on like uh, primetime Japanese television or something like that. And I'd never heard of this until like five days ago. And uh, but the style of the characters' faces was just idiosyncratic enough. It reminded me a lot of uh, again Akakiri, like the kind of weirdly angular and stylized eyes, kind of like uh, almost like eyes popping off of the face in a way, um, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know. I can't vouch for the entire series because I've only seen like a few minutes of it. But the, the concept is pretty fascinating. Um, oh, when, when sounds, you it sounds like when, wild stuff. Yeah. When you watch, can you understand what they're saying? Um, y- yes, because uh, it's clipped off of the when you're watching it on on the Streamyard thing. But there are subtitles. But yeah, some of it, like at the very oh, end. No, no, I no, do... no. I, I, I mean you, your knowledge of Japanese. Uh, some things, like I, I knew, for example, that at the end of it, when the little kid uh, is told like "shut up," and then he starts acting like a cat, and he says "nyan nyan nyan." Which is like meow in Japanese, and then uh, the the um, his his uh, bodyguard says something like uh, "knock it off, I'm serious," and uh, and he keeps doing the nyan nyan nyan, and then the bodyguard goes "wan," which is like Japanese for "woof," and it shuts the kid up. So I got that. All right. So this is a clip from uh, Castle of Cagliostro, which is, I think, Hideo Miyazaki's first uh, feature film. It's a part of, um, it's actually from a sort of long-running series, uh, Lupin Third. This is a very popular and famous movie, um, even today, outside of Japan. It's, it doesn't really have a lot to do with the original series. It kind of is sort of its own thing. But it also, again, uses a lot of, beautiful 70s designs i think that the uh the bad guy at the end of akakiri has a face similar to the bad guy at the end of uh this scene um what i love about this character in this movie in the tv show he's (laughs) he's from is like uh things don't always work perfectly um so in this case he's supposed to be launching like a like a like a zip line via a little rocket and his lighter doesn't work (laughs) so uh he has to go get it and then things get worse from there that's Rupon <laughs> he's now running down a, a roof everyone yeah. you don't have a choice you can either fall or you can just keep running now he's doing a big jump he's like Spider-Man now yep bam uh, and now he's somehow clinging onto a tower wall this is great play by play yep yep 
it's uh you know of course it's stylized it's cartoon logic but i i like that you can tell the characters struggling i don't like seeing characters who can just do everything effortlessly i think these guys kind of inspired a little bit of the the weird bad guys in akakiri um the kind of the, the goon oh man these are creepy as hell yeah yeah they're like black like purple hooded guys with pointy finger gloves that crab walk for some reason yeah cra- like they sort of stand like gorillas but then crab walk sideways and now there's a guy with a scarf terrific it's, it's, it's an ascot seal get it right sorry bro cool. yeah so i just like that guy's face like there's a lot of i like the way that they they draw all the faces different in these 70s shows um, it's like they're they don't have to have like a uniform body type and face type and an eye type and everything. Um, this is a easy one to find and it's a great introduction to um, you know Japanese theatrical animation. It's, it's very good and of course this is the guy who later went on to direct you know Nasuka, My Neighbor Totoro, Val, uh, 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 Howl's Movie Castle, Spirited Away, all that stuff. Uh oh, great shot. He just fell down a trapdoor, everyone. Yeah, he keeps his hands in his pockets. <laughs> oh, like Orange Cassidy. There's a wrestler that does that. Yeah, he's just too cool. Should we watch uh, the next one? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what, which one this is. Okay. So I think this one um, is the style of anime that inspired the twins. Um, the twins episode is like probably doesn't seem to get a lot of love. It is deliberately silly and exaggerated. I think the tip-off in that one is that um, the the human characters don't need to wear uh, space helmets in space, but the the droid does. I think that I think it's supposed to be your hint that the, this is uh, deliberately kind of silly. Um, this show is the sequel series of a very long-running uh, anime series, um, the the Mobile Suit Gundam series. I think this is one of the more interesting series. Uh, that they did because it's it's the because it's the sequel to the first one it takes place like maybe 10 years later it's very like force awakens in a sense but in this one the successors to the good guys of the original series are the bad guys in this series they kind of like get mad with power and go too far oh really and, that's uh, interesting and the bad guy the the darth vader-esque character of the original series is uh living in disguise now under an assumed name and is one of the good guys in this series uh, oh. He's not exactly Darth Vader-esque. He's more like he's more Anakin Skywalker, I guess. There's a lot of philosophizing in these uh, in these shows. Um, they like to it, talk it, to it, each other while they fight. Yeah, they, they do. You wonder why the these opposing uh, enemies would have like an open ra- uh, radio channel between. Uh, I, yeah, I, I should point out to those just listening: they are in robot fighting suits in space, right? But so here, these. All these characters who have died in the in the past are coming back to him. Um, he is all the Gundam suit pilots. Uh, it's it's a very it reminds me very much of the end of Rise of Skywalker. Use the Gundam uh, character. Yeah. And you're kind of chastising him like, oh, "How could you be so foolish?" Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Um, and some of these characters are like people who were enemies in real life or something like that. Now they're kind of like they're actually able to communicate with each other. It doesn't really make any sense and, and uh, is not a major part of the show, but they have like a force-like aspect of, that exists in this universe. That... 
The ghosts just start having a conversation between themselves. Yeah, yeah. And now he's floating through space without anything. What's going on? Yeah, it's a uh, very stylized. Like I said, it, if you if you watch the twins, you'll notice there's a lot of times where like the background seems to disappear. Uh, people seem to not be where you think they are, and it's it's all just a way of emphasizing the important dramatic moments. Um, it's not for everybody, but it is definitely something that has precedent in the in the genre. And the animation quality for this series is very very good. Whoa. I think this is pretty sick what he does here. He turns into he turns his robot into a jet and then he just plows it right into the guy. <laughs> oh my god. He just yeah. rammed the nose of the ship into the guy's gut. Like through a space. Rammed it into the other robot, yeah, and then just like killed him with the nose cone of his robot jet. All right, there's some good transformers. Are you all right? I'll tell you that much. That was pretty sick. I got to tell yeah. you. <laughs> uh, for these, uh, for the first Gundam series, the first two, um, Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam. Although I think purists would recommend you just watch every single episode. There's a lot of episodes and. I don't know how much you're going to get out of it, but they did make uh, movies, which were kind of like digest versions of the episodes. So each series had, I think three movies each, like about 90 minute movies that would kind of compress the episodes into, you know, movie sized chunks. And that's a great way of, of uh, trying to get through those early shows. And if you don't like it, then, you know, you didn't lose a lot of time. If you do like it, then go back and watch the entire series. I think they're on Crunchyroll now and stuff like that. Um, well, I'm... That one's my favorite. I am fascinated what you got for this next one with the Tatooine uh, Rhapsody. Okay, so this one is not really a reference or anything like that. Um, I just wanted to prove that Japanese rock music doesn't have to suck. Which if you oh, saw it's, Tatooine it's a, Rhapsody, the music's not great. Oh, this is, this is actually a live show we're watching. Yeah, this. this is my favorite uh, rock band from Japan. It's uh, Mass of the Fermenting Dregs. Um, they kick ass. Uh, you, you don't Mass have to watch the whole thing. Mass of fermenting but. dregs. Mass of the fermenting dregs. Um, like a lot of Japanese uh, proper nouns for names and stamps and stuff, it doesn't make any sense. It just sounds cool. The, the singer right here, she writes all the, the songs too. Yeah, I don't mind a bit of mass. Yeah. I want to hear the chorus. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that um, listening in another language, the 
the vocals really become a musical instrument. Yeah, exactly. Cause, right. Cause yeah. Not... I don't know what they're saying either. Yeah. So, yeah. That's exactly how I feel. Like I, they, they started out like maybe like in 2010 or something. Um, they like won a contest or something like that. And the, the, the prize was that um, famed nineties grunge rock producer, Butch Vig would produce your, your first. Oh, album. really? Yeah. And um yeah, they did that. They, originally, the band had a different lineup. That the the front uh, the front woman there, I can't remember her name. She's she's kind of the mainstay, but originally it was her and another woman and another drummer. And um, yeah, they 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 retired for a while uh, after the the original members quit, and then they came back like a couple years ago. And I desperately want to see them live, but I've never been able to do that. Anyway, yeah. that's just there to just like if you felt like, oh my god, the song in Tatooine Rhapsody is garbage, like you're correct, but it's uh don't don't let that there's plenty like look, like every other country, most of the music that comes out of Japan is terrible. Okay. But that's that's the way it is everywhere. And and if you look for the good stuff, it it, it does exist and and uh Mass of the Fermenting Dregs is is uh best in class in my opinion. Now I'm I'm fascinated with this next clip. Um, we've got two more to go. Number 13, Thrawn. What's this about? So I ran out of things that I knew were like topical, like uh, definite references that the show was making. And so I thought, here are some Star Wars. So there's some Star Wars uh, aspects of Star Wars that did not show up in Visions that could have been. And there are other anime series that did touch on those things. This one is from a show I just learned about researching for this episode. And it's called Legend of the Galactic Heroes. It's a very long-running show about um, two warring uh, factions, like a, you know your evil empire and your freedom fighters, etc. The guy you saw sitting uh, 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 Zazen style there is kind of like the Thrawn-esque I, I, character here. I, I, I would say Limbally. Yeah, he's kind of like a he's a strategy genius, but he's not. Um, he kind of plays by his own rules. He's a little bit unorthodox. Yeah. People don't. Know not not this him. guy with the the goatee thing. Oh, certainly not. He's he's more of a Tarkin esque character, I think. And again, I've not seen the entire series. I have no idea what I'm really talking about. But I did watch this episode. In this one, like the the good guys are, they start out with their backs to a black hole, and so the idea is like the bad guys are like, okay, let's surround them. And then what they do is the good guys just punch right through the middle, like in a straight line. And suddenly the bad guys are stretched out and uh, within the, you know, gravitational pull of the black hole and the good guys kind of turn the tables on them. And it's an example of this, like, you know, uh, free thinking kind of radical Thrawn esque character getting the better of them. It's a, if you've read the recent Thrawn novels by Timothy Zahn and you like them, I think you would like this series. Uh, it seems like it's a lot of this kind of stuff. If you don't like that stuff, you would probably hate this because it's a lot of weird made up space military tactics. But it also does another thing, which is it it seems to deal with like here, you see the bad guy ships are starting to get sucked into the black hole. Uh, right? Oh, no. Oh. And so he's like, all right, so be it. Like, we're going to have to fight our way out of this. Um, is what the bad guy here is saying. He might be a good guy for all I know. I haven't seen most of the shows, to be honest, but they're losing. Um, 
And uh, what's interesting is that what you're about to see is um, something you never see in Star Wars, which is what happens when the giant capital ships get destroyed. What happens to the people inside of them? Um, and it's oh, pretty, like, imagine a Star Destroyer getting wasted. Imagine like Rogue One where the, the Star Destroyer gets cut in two by, by the Corvette. All right, I'm ready like, for What's happening inside, right? So right now he's this guy's a, the Thrawn-esque character. He's having a revelation. Like, here's what we'll do. Um, we have to get out of here because there's bad guys chasing us. But what we'll do is we'll all fire three shots and then leave because the shots will keep going on their trajectory. So they do that. And then the other guy's like, ah, they're retreating full steam ahead. And then suddenly like all these like lasers come towards them right there. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> that doesn't sound like that, like amazing a uh, strategy. It seems pretty, I mean, like, like, like let's, let's shoot and then we'll run. That sounds pretty basic. Uh, shoot all at once and then run. I don't know. Maybe it is steel. Maybe you're a, a space combat genius. All right, here, here, this is what I was talking about. Oh God. There's just dudes getting in sit, sucked out the window. It looks, oh. um, it reminded me a bit of, um, some of the action you see on like the Battlestar Galactica, you know, yeah, they, they, yeah. they show a bit of, uh, corridor deaths on the um on the yeah. various battle stars oh, and stuff yeah there's there's one scene i had to there's one like five seconds of that clip i had to cut out completely because it was just too gross um <laughs> but yeah uh, i think it's the same thing again right yeah yeah i just um yeah now um that actually that that's that show pretty sick actually i gotta tell you yeah it's like it's very like military tactics based i think but it's got this like long running. They don't. It's not a TV series. I think they're they're what's uh, uh, they call them OVAs in Japan. I think which stands for I think original video animation or something like that. And it's just like where instead of getting a a season of a TV show every so many years, they'll release like a box set of like you know maybe like uh, five or six episodes worth of content just all at once. Oh, it's like almost like uh, like you know the way like uh, you know Netflix does its shows, and it would just do it every now and then, and so it could be like five or six years in between each show, uh, each each. Um, yeah, that 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 one um, reminded me of Star Blazers. Yeah, that's a good. I thought about using that, but I couldn't think of anything about it that seemed really relevant to visions in particular but that's a great um, that's one that often comes up when people are talking about star wars-esque good uh, good theme good theme song good theme song do you know that one i don't know the theme song but oh it's like um searching for a distant star heading off to iskan star who knows what adventures we'll find on our star blazers. It was, it was some red hot eighties animated uh, soundtracks going on there. Hey, I've never really, I've got it somewhere. I think on a hard drive, I, I sort of watched a bit of it, but I just don't think at the time I was sort of in the, the subtitles mood. But there was a Star Blazers motion picture or spaceship oh, yeah? Yamamoto. Oh, was that the same thing? Yeah. So I thought it was a different series. I have seen uh, was it Battleship Yamamoto. That's a fascinating uh, series because it's like the idea is like there's like an evil alien empire closing in on Earth and we've got to build like a Starfleet fast. 
And so what their solution is, is to like resurrect old like World War II shipwrecks and turn them into spaceships. One of which is the Yamamoto, which was like a real Japanese, I think, aircraft carrier or something. It was just like the largest ship ever made by mankind. And they like turn into a spaceship. I don't know and if it's I, the same the, series as Star Blazers, though. No, that sounds exactly the same. And they, oh, okay. um, and the middles, they, they install a big cannon. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, I think in the cartoon, Star Blazers, which is like the Americanized version. Oh, okay. The Earth was all like everyone had to live underground, and they were going to Iskandar to get like some machine that was going to fix Earth. I okay, think. yeah, that does sound familiar, actually. Yeah. Um, but good times. Um, should we go to the last one? Because let's go, let's do it. Let's do it. I am interested because this is this one is tagged as solo. So I imagine the film solo. Yeah, I would say like if if you like the film solo or if you like bounty hunter tales in general, if you like even the Mandalorian, um, this is the most basic ass like uh, anime recommendation there is. Everybody recommends Cowboy Bebop as the the anime to see if you if you aren't familiar with the the genre because it's just really really good um netflix is about ready to release a live action version that i have no idea whether it will be good or not but uh, the original was from like 97 98 in japan i and it's yeah from what i've seen of that netflix live action one like it looks like something i want like my i was like i've got to check this out but um i've never seen the cartoon or the anime, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Same it's on thing. Netflix, but I, I'm, I'm a slave to the live action gods. I, that, that's mm-hmm. my media of choice. So I am not watching because I've, I've heard some people say, "Oh, yeah, I'm going to watch it to prep for the the live action." I'm just going straight into the live action with no knowledge, no background. I just want to be engulfed by it it looks like it's gonna be like recreating the cartoon pretty much like like shot for shot almost like it looks very very similar like the bright primary colors and all that i don't know like to me i'm getting strong like watchman vibes like when they made the classic comic book watchman into a movie like Zack snyder did it i think and it just looks like exactly like the comic book it's like it's so much so that if you've read the comic book you don't need to watch the movie because it's literally the same thing. I wonder if that's what they're doing. Um, if so, then yeah, it'll probably be great because the, the original cartoon is great. But um, yeah, I think if you like it, it's about a group of bounty hunters. Um, and they're always like, it's kind of about like the, the down on your luck bounty hunters who never quite have quite enough money. Their, their, their tips don't always pay off. And this one, he's got to exchange a, um, a poker chip that has some secret stuff hidden on it with uh, the bad guys. And they tell him, okay, so meet us in outer space. And we'll exchange. There's the bad Oh, so, so they're actually doing the trade outside yeah. a ship in space. Do it that's, outside, yeah. That's cool. Confirm that we have the chip, then destroy them. <gasps> oh, yeah. So there's the... the protagonist of the series spike spiegel he's shooting in space you know i'd do that it'll work 
Oh, this music is all time. Steel, if you can watch Bad Batch in its entirety, you could easily get through this series. No, 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 no. It's not like a matter of getting through it. I just... If there's a live-action like, option, you're going to do that. Is that yeah, I just want to save it. I just want to save it for the live action. Like I right there. Yeah. He, he presses the button on the guy's spacesuit to like deactivate his magnet boots and then kicks him into outer space. That's gangster. <laughs> he's, he's never coming back. <laughs> like that's it. And then he catches the chip. But... Like, um, like, like, sorry, like with Dune, like I've mm-hmm. seen the original, but not for like 20 years or something. So, and, and like, I, I didn't want to rewatch it or read the book. I just want to just see what the movie can tell me. This is from the feature film. It's kind of how it begins, and they're they're chasing down a, a bounty, which is like this small time like uh, stick up artists, and um, that's uh, Jet Black, Spike's partner, talking earlier. And now Spike's going to show up, and he's pretending to. He's got headphones on. He's pretending like he can't hear them. And uh, yeah. There's, there is sound to this clip, but I guess you don't really need oh, to. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Whoa. So Spike Spiegel knows Jeet Kune Do. That's, uh, that's oh my, my favorite God. part right there. Oh, my <laughs> God. Already... <laughs> he just, he just, so, so they're in a 7-Eleven or something, and, and he, he roundhouse kicks this dude that's robbing the place, and then his head falls on, like, the coffee machine, and he makes a coffee on him. Yeah, he just he just casually presses the button, and the guy is so like, he's so out of it that like he barely moves when the coffee. Yeah. Boom. Well, onto the coffee machine, and then. Boop. Oh. <laughs> so so how how happy will be you be if we get to see someone um, have coffee poured on their face? Like in Star Wars and the Mandalorian? No, in Cowboy I mean, Bebop, the live action. I mean, I guess I'd be thrilled if it's look steel if they do it right. Trademark. This is a uh, Faye Valentine, the 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 like other protagonist. Scene. This is her introductory like scene. Some questionable angles of this lady. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to look. You can uh, you can take it or leave it. I guess. All right, they're loading up a gun. All right. A lady's shooting all these bad guys. It's very good. She's also smoking. Which is the coolest possible thing you can do with your mouth. Hell yeah. And lungs. <laughs> this poor shopkeeper. <laughs> They, what I love about this series is like their world. It's it's in the solar system. It's in the not so distant future, and it's like this weird cultural conglomeration thing. Of uh... okay, so th- this series also has some of the best like space combat like uh, type fight scenes, dog fight scenes ever. Really awesome! Uh, look at this. Just watch this. I don't want to ruin it. I do have to say though that as I watch this animation of this these fighters, I'm just mm-hmm. like ah. Oh. This is the way my head works. This is going to look great in live action. It's going to look great. 
You hear a little bit of the ARP synthesizer, which is the uh, X-Wing laser noise right there. The music is amazing. Sorry, I'm not talking, but these ships are just chasing each other around planets. And... I yeah, can't he's wait. Trying, he's trying not to kill anybody here. Is what you're, ah. Pursuers or not, he doesn't want to kill them. But he's got to get them off his tail, so he's like creating as much like distraction as he can. This is so sick the way he does. I hope everyone just listening just is enjoying the music. Yeah. Because it is good. It's very good. Now they're fighting along the water. Dude, this is going to be amazing live action, Robo. I can't wait for it. Shut up. Have you now? Oh, what? <laughs> He's okay, folks. This is good. This is good. It's a man in a taxi whistling. There's a ship landing on him on the bridge. Landing on a bridge in his fighter. The cab is about to run into him. Will he get the cab? That's what I'm asking. Hey, taxi. Hey, I called it. <laughs> but I gotta say, that clip, I am um I'm pumped to watch it in live action. <laughs> yeah. Good joke. Okay. No, no, yeah, no, no. I I'm mean, not... I think it'll be good. Yeah, I think it'll be that's good. How, that's I... how my... I, I, I'm watching it just like going, oh, they're going to make a show out of this. This is sick. When's it come out? That's what I want to know. I don't know. Soonish, right? Cowboy Bebop live action. Stories. Here's when Netflix drops the first trailer. What does that mean? Six days ago. Oh, that's what they released a while ago, the opening credits. Yeah, they just redid the opening credits. What's interesting about that is, like, in the original, like, there's Japanese text and there's English text in the opening credits, and in the Netflix version, it's reversed. So the stuff that's in English is in Japanese, and the stuff that's in Japanese is in English. Oh. That's kind of clever. I mean, I I get, like, good... I'm getting good uh, vibes off of the, the material they put out. Just, like... It may not be my kind of adaptation, but at least you know they care, right? Like, it's not going to be a 
half-assed, you know, copy. So that comes They're out using on... their whole ass deal. I, I love it. You got I, a whole ass. Be good. Get it in yeah, there. Yeah, nineteenth of November. So soon. Um, sweet. Just after. Just in the the, the aftermath of, of Disney Plus Day. Oh, I can hardly wait. Dude, I think they're going to show some good stuff. I hope so. I'm looking forward to it. I, I really hope uh, there's some Book of Boba Fett material that makes me excited for that series because I, I don't... It's like it's one of those things where I feel like I th- it feels like it could be good, but I don't know enough about it to really... Uh, yeah, I like... I've got very high hopes and I think, I don't know if you'll, I, I think they're going to do some, I think they're really going to bash into some previously seen on Star Wars things. Yeah. I mean, it's one, it's, it's a problem because like I always do this when I find out they're going to do something, when they bring Boba Fett back, I've got, Oh, I know how to explain everything. I know how they're going to do. And it's, I'm, you know, of course they're not going to do it the way I want to do it. And, it's like it's my fault for getting my hopes up but yeah like i my dream was always that they're going to show like you know this the whole sail barge scene but from a huge distance and it's going to be a bunch of like you know uh, uh you know like tuscan raiders or jawas or something watching it from afar and they're just seeing like you know just you just barely make out the green lightsaber and you see somebody fall into the pit and then uh, later on, the Jawas are like picking apart like the wreckage, right? Which you know they'd be all over that, like flies on that ham sandwich, and you know, and then suddenly you see like you know this like like sound of like somebody like shooting their way out of the the monster, and then suddenly like a, a Boba Fett comes shooting out of the thing covered in stomach acid, and lands, and these Jawas are just staring at him. He's like, Ugh! He's like probably ripping off his clothes because they're like burning him and everything. And the and the Jawas just stare at him for a second, and then he collapses. And they look at each other, and they just go back to their business. <laughs> I I, I, great. I I reckon we're gonna see it. I reckon everything that you I don't know about the whole Jawas and time, but I think we're. I definitely think we're gonna get how we got out. And I think I, mean, I, I don't think they're gonna somehow. Boba Fett returned us. I mean, it's not like it's complicated. He he has a jetpack. He has yeah, armor. Uh, and in saying that, I, I don't. I, I'm not like you. Better answer this. It's just like, hey, that'd be cool to see. Show us that. What I want to know is like how he, why he was just chilling out for five years doing nothing. Was somebody else had his suit, and like how he gained like an entire extra person's worth of muscle, like. Cause he he's like he's a built dude in, uh, when Tamara Morrison's playing him, but the dude who's in the Boba Fett costume in the original trilogy is like, I could not fit into that costume. Like I'm too big, and I'm not that big of a guy. So like I feel like they've got to have some explanation for why he's got like the goffy stick, why he's just showing up five years later, and I feel like it's got to have something to do with the Sand People. It's got to be Tuscan Raider related. I feel like that if I were a Tuscan Raider and suddenly somebody shows up out of nowhere and kills Jabba the Hutt. Jabba the Hutt's got to be like the worst dude in your world. If you're, if you're a Tuscan, right? So they must think that their God is responsible for this. 
And so they like round up everybody who survives from the sail barge and like march them down to Tatooine's equator to sacrifice them on the anvil of the sun or whatever it is. And it's like a death march. And Boba Fett somehow survives that because he's a survivor. And then he like somehow manages to plot his huh. way back to, to Tatooine's like, you know, to Moss Eisley's area. And that's he's just arriving at the end of it. Because it took him five years to get there, that would be cool. When you bring in the Tuscan Raiders and and like weaving a story with that, I immediately went to um, the Tuscan Raiders. Like took him in because he was the only person to escape from the Sarlacc, and that was some like fabled quest of the Sand People or something. But, um, not good. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be what I said. I just like, I, the fact that he's got their stuff, right? Yeah. He's got oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying, yeah. like, like, either way, like, I, I got no yeah, idea. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, it's just a fun thing to, um, try to come up with gibberish for. But, yeah. um, yeah, I, I sort of just like in my head, just like he, he got out, he was injured, you know, that he didn't have his suit anymore, and he's just been like, biding his time and then once the mandalorian showed up like he knew whether his suit was but he was in no position to go get it and then the mandalorian turned up and that sort of expedited his uh his plan i saw how he handled those stormtroopers though i think he was in condition to get whatever he wanted it's like he would have just like smacked Cobb Vance in the in the brain with this with his goffy stick, and that would have been the end of it. Like that dude is just like he's just some hillbilly in the desert with who found somebody else's armor. He's nobody. Yeah, I, I don't uh, buy but... this like stuff. Like he let Cobb Vance live. Like no, he just found out, and then he found out this other like super assassin was left in the desert to die. He's like, hey, I've got an extra robo stomach. I think I can make this work. Now's my chance. Like, well, I he's I, got his ship. He doesn't have to find a ship, so he could get off the planet if he if he just if he's been there the whole time. He's always had his ship. It doesn't make any sense. Like he he's he hmm. just needs to. He just got there. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. I reckon he's just chilling. But I always think that Fennec Shan was going to see Boba Fett. That makes sense too. Yeah, like. Like she knows where he is or something, or she knows that he's, she finds out like that he's alive, or maybe she's the one who had his ship. Maybe she took the slave one, right? And like, and then she finds out, oh, Boba Fett's still alive somewhere. And she goes back to get him. And that's like kind of like, hey, thanks for taking care of my ship. I'll give you a robot tum tum. <laughs> Little robo tummy. Yeah. Um, hey, mate. Um, Top effort getting all those clips together. That was um, really well, thank fun you. to watch. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Like like I said, a lot of those things are, are like I'd say a good third of them are things that I did not know much about, and I just wanted to learn because got to give content to the people, value to the listeners of the the Robo Report, and uh, it's great to be back. And can't wait to go into another season of what seems to be like almost nonstop Star Wars content. <laughs> it feels like like got all kinds of great stuff coming up. Well, I, I I wish we were still in the the midst of visions. I, I I like I know some people couldn't handle the responsibility of just watching twenty minutes each week, and um, you know, <laughs> if it wasn't for them, but I I wish they did do it once a week so I could just just focus on that 
that episode. Yeah, I, I'd love to. I mean, that's how I watched it. I watched it a little bit at a time. I didn't watch it all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's better for it. But yeah, I'd love to see pretty much any of those continue in some way. Um, it's just great. The animation quality is great. I think it looks it looks beautiful. It looks gorgeous. Um, it's uh, it's what I've always wanted. Mostly just like you know, hand drawn animation. Yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of computers are involved in stuff, but you know, it's it's traditional animation style, and it looks it looks absolutely gorgeous. And I, I want to see more. I want to see more ships fighting steel. That's what I want to see. I want to see more dog fights. Who doesn't? Um, but. I mean, yeah, I know it's 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 a big part of the equation, but it was great, and it's it's great to be back. And looking forward to more solid gold Steel Wars content. Um, you'll find more of it on the Steel Wars Patreon feed. All it takes is a few bucks a month. I don't know how many, but it's worth it, guaranteed. Three, three buddy, three. Three bucks a month. It's nothing. It's the pittance compared to the quality of content you're going to get. And, and and good news is that now um, this worked out in the new house. Harry went to sleep. I'm not waking him up. Um, he will wake up in the next hour or so, and I will, I will quell, I will quell him back to sleep. He always wakes up about midnight. Perfect. You've got a schedule. Yeah, it's too too many wake ups. Hey. You know what? That kid's got to do what he's got to do. Yeah, that's true. He just misses you. He just misses you still. He misses dad. Dude, I'll be there in the morning. I tell you, in the morning, <laughs> in in the morning, his boot up sequence to like, to get to full power, two seconds. Wow, like really? It, it, it's at full power. What do we do? He'll just like, I'll watch him like wake up and he'll just like go gunk. Eyes will go wide and you'll go... <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> he would just go, what are we doing today? And I was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. Game. Uh, don't know how to tell you the sun, but it's very similar to what we did yesterday. No, nah, uh, we're always going on adventures, Robo. Oh, you're a good father. Um, better than I, because I do a lot of the same stuff every day. Well, you know, I also might be lying. Uh, but yeah. But we do have uh, adventures. Anyway. That's good. You know, you get him where you can find him, and um, you can find more of the Robo Report. If you liked what you hear, go check out the Steel Wars Patreon feed. Three bucks a month. You can get all previous 35 episodes. Three bucks a month. I, th- I said three. Oh, you're just doing the... Okay, sorry. I thought you were correcting me. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm just adding some visual emphasis. My bad. My bad. Cut that out, Steel. No, no, no. I know. Um, uh, it, hey. it's good stuff. And, uh, and you can, if you want to hear more of my melodious voice, I've got another podcast called hardcore gaming One Hundred and One. It's available wherever fine podcasts are streamed. We talk about video games. We rank them on the big damn list of video games. And, uh, it's a lot of fun. One of these, we had Hawes on Hawes Burkhart on somewhat recently, uh, to talk about Knights of the Old Republic two. It's a good show. So there, there's your, there's your entry point. And um, not sure what else to say except uh, keep uh, keep checking out, you know, watch more good cartoons, uh, ask for more visions, and uh, so long, suckers. <laughs>
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.